0: Well, if we could, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, I just thank and praise thee this day, Father, for being able to stand in this thy house of prayer. And I just pray and ask, Father, that you would ever just anoint us this day. May we ever break forth, Father, thy bread of life. I just pray and ask, Father, for thy Holy Spirit to just fill and keep each and every one of us, Father. May the hope, Father, of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ever be with each and every one of us here, and especially with our children, Father, that they would be able to stand the test of time and be able to occupy till he comes, Father. I just praise thee in this day and pray for thy anointing, Father, in this hour. In Christ Jesus, thy Son's holy name. Amen. 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 Well, in case you all hadn't figured it out already, the actual title of my lesson today was from hymn number 245, What If It Were Today. What I'd like to do is read into the account here a little bit of these verses. I know the wind sang them and did an exceptional job. I'll read them, not sing them, okay? Jesus is coming to earth again, what if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign, what if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified. Over this whole earth, scattered wide, what if it were today? Faithful and true would he find us here, if he should come today. Watching in gladness and not in fear, if he should come today. Signs of his coming multiply, morning light breaks in eastern sky. Watch for the time is drawing nigh, what if it were today? As I stated, the title of my lesson is, What If It Were Today? Now faithful and true would he find us here, watching in gladness and not in fear. What if it were today? Now the Feast of Trumpets is to be a joyous day. Jesus Christ is coming back. And the 10 days, which includes the Feast of Trumpets as well as the Day of Atonement, there's 10 days there. Those 10 days, is a time of reflection self-examination and repentance is my life glorifying jesus christ now this previous week pastor ramsey held a conference and held a day on how to build a church now i believe it is the first time and i asked pastors since i don't know when that building churches has been a conference subject anywhere now if ever there was a time in world history that this is significant i believe it's now so what is the church presence now in England, France, Germany, and pretty much all European countries? They once sent missionaries throughout the world. Now they need missionaries themselves. Lots of repurposed cathedrals and church buildings. It's very sad. I believe several men spoke though at, at Pastor Ramsey's conference. I don't exactly have a number of how many, but there were several. Uh, there were two pastors from our local body that spoke as well, Pastor Reed and, and Pastor Dan. Now. Many of these men who spoke actually aren't blessed with having a church. Now, why the sudden urge to form churches? Uh, We all have the Bible. I mean, how many of you brought your Bible? Everybody has a Bible, all right. Now, how many are literate? All right, so we can all read. So, now the thing is, is we have the World Wide Web as well for our theologians. So, sickness, we found out, or at least the threat of it, has proven we don't need to get together face to face. We can stay at home. So why form a church? I am really asking you that question. Engage your brain. Why form a church? Why? What purpose do they serve? Why not just put everything on the internet? Why not just put everything on the internet? Isn't a church just about spreading the gospel? On the internet, then everybody could see it. Think of the savings. And no offense, but my recliner is way comfier than these pews. Not that I want you to come and test it out. Just trust me. All right. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think of this, and I know this will appeal to almost everybody. The number one benefit, the number one benefit of putting everything on the Internet is if you didn't like this lesson, just choose a different one. Customize it. Perhaps a really short one. Now, I know that would really tempt a lot of you, right? 30 minutes condensed to five. Five minutes would be pretty good, wouldn't it? I mean, I would, I would click on that all the time, I'm sure. You could customize your religious experience to be all about your desires. Yes, your desires. Not mine. Not his, not hers, yours. What an age we live in. I mean, hallelujah, freedom's here, isn't it? We can choose and make whatever we desire to have. But faithful and true, would he find us here? Watching in gladness and not in fear. What if it were today? Now, how many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Carl Jung? Okay, well, Carl Jung, he's an analytical psychologist. And here's what he said about the Protestants. Now, how many of you believe you're a Protestant? All right, that that helps with that there, we're Protestants. So he said the logical conclusion of the Protestant Reformation was unconstrained factionalism, leading to Protestant atomization, serious and wide reaching enough so that all those in the Protestant world would end up members of their own personal church wow own personal church members of their own personal church now carl was not a christian but of interest he was the son of a lutheran minister from a long line of ministers and they actually expected carl to become a minister as well and he went into psychology now his mother was into spiritualism but let's back up here so what is unconstrained factionalism well, it's the inability to stop the splitting of a group into factions. So, what is a faction? Well, a faction is a party or group, uh, as within a government, that is often contentious or self seeking, a clique. Now, I can't, I don't think I can refute what Carl Jung said as being untrue. And in fact, in the Kingdom Gospel Movement, I would say it was spot on. Basically, what he's saying is, is it's the inability not to divide. And it's an interesting description, I believe, as well, that it's members of our own personal church. Now, I know that I have spoken before on what exactly is a church, in my view. But I realize that I think it would do us good to review it as well Today because you can't build anything without a vision of what you're seeking to accomplish everybody needs a a a plan a vision put forth we can't just all get together and say let's build a gym and everybody run out and grab a shovel and we'll just start digging holes it doesn't work that way so the ecclesia or ecclesia some people call it or church it has been translated in the king james version of the bible is by definition a called out assembly of believers A called out assembly of believers, but called out for what? Now, assembly, not assembled, meaning they have a predetermined purpose. If said purpose is merely to be an Israelite, marry an Israelite, profess and believe in Jesus Christ, have a family, and well, hello, pearly gates, I'm a Christian, then there's no need for a church. But I must ask this question, did Jesus love the church? Now, if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it states, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself for it. In John chapter 15, verse 13 as well, we have, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The church is the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for it. Now this is the house of worship that this church, the called out assembly of believers has built and maintained by God's grace and mercy to gather, i.e. to, that is to assemble in. Now if all the buildings were lost tomorrow, there still exists the Church of Israel. So why build a church house? Every religion has its assembly place. They are all a visible record to those that pass by that we, the assembled here, believe in this. Why did Daniel pray with his windows open for the breeze? No, it was a testament, a testimony of his faith these buildings are a testimony that jesus christ of nazareth is our god now we also know that all assemblies are just parts of that overall universal church but faithful and true would he find us here now for the sake of time i'm going to trim some here but uh if you would like to open your bibles to revelation chapter 2 What I'd like to cover a little bit about is in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 as well, we have the letters that were written to the churches. Now, we're all familiar with these passages. So I'm going to basically, what I'm going to do is just land on the passages that were written of the end result. And that's what I would like to focus on. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, this is written to the church at Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches... To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then we jump down to Revelation 2.11, and we have written to the church of Smyrna. And he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. And if we go down to Revelation verse 17, we have to the church of Pergamos. Now to the church of Pergamos, he said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And then if we go to Revelation, still in chapter 2, verses 26 through 29, we have what is spoken to the church of Thyatira. Now Thyatira was told, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now I'm going to go into Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to start with verses 5 and 6. And this is written to the church of Sardis. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess him, his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then if we can go to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll go to 12 and 13, we have what was written to the church at Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And if we go into Revelation 3 and we jump down to 21 and 22, we now have what was written to the church of the Laodiceans. And it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Faithful and true would he find us here, watching in gladness and not in fear. What if it were today? Now, each of these seven churches fit in an area less than the state of Texas or less than the size, excuse me, of the state of Texas, and it's in a nation what is now called Turkey. Six of these seven churches, if you read the full text that is is mentioned there, had complaints against them. Now, each of these seven churches were given different promises to those that overcame. Why not just write the same promise to all that overcame? But if you look, they all had different complaints against them as well. But they all had the same Lord Jesus Christ. All different churches, all different problems, the same Lord and Savior. Every church is unique, and this one is, This one here is no exception. We all carry the same desire, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I guess that I shouldn't assume that. So, raise your hand if you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. All right, well, that, that's... That's a very good starting point. Well done. Many gathered today here have sacrificed to be here. Their time, their money, their chosen occupations even. You have to choose an occupation which allows you to be able to even uh, be part of a church sometimes. It's very, it's very difficult. If, in your, if you're in the military, it's, it's night impossible. Uh, it's only when you're able to be on leave. So each of us have individual burdens we bring, crosses we bear. Imperfect people with the intentions of coming together, seeking to come together even, to be in unity. Seeking to occupy till he comes. Amen? Maybe not. Are we seeking to occupy till he comes? Amen? Amen? All right. Why else would you be here? And if Jesus came today, let's ask ourselves, am I faithful? Am I true? But most importantly, do I have gladness in my heart? Do I understand that my sin debt is paid in full? Much like the song that pastor had us read, are we under the blood? Are we covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Does my life show forth by my actions, my words, my deeds that I follow Jesus Christ? In Proverbs chapter 15, verses 13, it reads, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Now, I know all of us have experienced this. If you're down and out, it's very hard to get up and smile, is it not? I mean, I'm, my wife says I am terrible at it. She's actually quite good at it. She can put on a good face after she's clobbered me before getting out of the car. But uh, <laughs> some people have skills. <laughs> all right. The uncertainty of tomorrow brings the thoughts of today to truly contemplate our future. And that being said, what lies ahead? In America, we have reached a point where our freedoms are in question. In America, our savings are shrinking and inflation is rising. Amen? In America, we want to take our government government back. Amen? In America, we want the Constitution to be followed. Amen? Now, that being said, most of us feel helpless in changing anything. No matter what a man or woman goes to that goes to office, we continue to see a downward spiral in our society. What can we do? We pray and pray, but is God listening? This nation once held Christianity in the highest esteem. If you go back and actually search it out, you'll find what the original 13 colonies to even be to hold an office, the qualifications that you had to have. It wasn't your college degree, it was how devoted you were to Christ. And not just to Christ, but to what was believed to be truth. To believe in the Trinity was a requirement in many of those states. In fact, in 1776, no Catholics were able to hold an office. And in fact, they say that there was only 1% of the population in 1776 in America was actually Catholic. Now, I'm not trying to pick on the Catholics here. Don't, don't take me wrong. It, it's just an interesting dynamic if you like analytics and statistics. Um, it wasn't until 1840 when the Catholic presence really grew in the United States. Now, I have spent a lot of time in my mind debating over the decline of this nation. Read the different books, the different authors and such. And, and I probably watch more videos now than I do actually reading, but uh, I, I can assure you it wasn't the Catholics. So, and I'm not trying to pick on Catholics or anything. It just was one of those things that intrigued me that there was no Catholics that really formed and started this nation. So, what were the causes of the decline of this nation? What what is the effects? And what's the solutions, the causes, the effects, and the solutions? Well, quite honestly, I believe church is the answer. Now, I say that because church is the cause and effect. If you study our nation's history, church has a cause and effect, both bad and good. And church is the solution. Now, when the church is so strong, so is the nation, and vice versa. When a church is vibrant, alive, so is its community. The community thrives, in fact. Now, when I speak of church, I'm speaking of true church, not a fellowship church. And to be a generational church, it must be lived out each generation. Now, I appreciate that this congregation would even listen to me. I'm not a teacher, I'm not an evangelist, I have no degrees, and I'm not self-employed, so no success story here. My wife would tell you I have a wow factor of 0.5. And I have learned that what I say can be taken the wrong way and felt like a personal attack. And sarcasm, I have learned, is not always appreciated, so but I have I have no vendettas what I do have is a desire that this body this body gathered here this Church of Israel exists for our great-grandchildren now our being each and every one of you and me that desire I believe is why each of us are here today so what can we do in reality I mean, it's very easy to see there's a lot going on. And I, a lot of you, if you're like me, I mean, and I know pastor says we're not supposed to be depressed, but I've been pretty beat down for a while now, especially after COVID and everything like that. just trying to figure out how to, how to find, I was looking for the wrong, I was looking in the wrong direction, trying to find hope. If you know what I mean, especially if you have a lot of children, a lot of young lives that are around you and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what exactly do I tell them when everything that you turn on, listen to watch, read or whatever is exactly the opposite doom and gloom tomorrow we die it's very difficult what I'd like to do is if we could turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God amen And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Judgment that is spoken of here is Strong's number 2917, and it's pronounced crema for those of you that like to know all this kind of things. And it means a condemnation of wrong, the decision, whether severe or mild, the decision it's speaking of there, which one passes on the faults of others condemnation, which is the act of condemning, which is to pronounce to be utterly wrong or to censure. Now, one of our con- one of our cries about our nation is no condemnation of wrong. Nothing is rightly prosecuted. Amen. 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 But how are we the church doing? Our actions, not just our words, how are we doing with each other especially? I'll ask you to ponder this for a moment. We are all upset with how the government is treating the U.S. Constitution. The utter disregard for the laws can- contained therein. Amen? Amen? But how many of us even know and have read what the articles of faith and doctrine of your church are. We despise government officials, but by Romans 13, we are instructed that they are ministers of God. That being said, how do we treat and feel about our church ministers? Do we teach our children to respect the offices they hold? are they valuable to us or like government officials only when they do what we believe is right we are all tired of the lies of our politicians our government its health officials and media aren't we amen, amen. but how truthful are we with the church brethren most especially our spouses in malachi 2:14 The men have been asked and been told that they have dealt treacherously. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We also have another reference in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. And it says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man, for out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And as a final witness, I give you Revelations 21 verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and all and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now we could go further with correlations, but I hope you see my point. And the point that I'm trying to make is everything that we have against them, the outside world, the government, God has against us. So judgment, as we're told in 1 Peter 4, 17, begins with us. Now, how many of you are people are familiar with a man by the name of Jordan Peterson? Amen. Most of us are. He wrote a book entitled 12 Rules for Life. Here is rule number six, and I think it's very pertinent. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Amen. Now, I believe it is also a biblical rule, and that is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Now, another quote from Mr. Peterson from his book is, If you cannot bring peace to your household, how dare you try and run a city? So no matter how great one person may be within this church, it does not make the whole church great every one of us must pull their own way now I'm not speaking of tithing I'm speaking of character what is the true character the world sees about you about me what is the testimony of your life as an individual in this church are we a light on a hill or an ember you have to wait until darkness to see. If Jesus came back today, would he find me faithful, find you faithful and true? Now, six of the seven churches had complaints against them. Now, I think it'd be nice to receive a letter. You need to fix this, this, and this. Correction. I speak of God to us, meaning this church, so please don't send me letters what I need to fix. (laughs) Not, Not nice. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson, there is a problem of no churches forming. Everyone wants a fellowship which isn't a church. Doctrines are so diverse that arguing ensues, not unity. Now, it's a sad, very sad situation Uh, We have no idea how blessed we are to have each other here. Whether we like each other or not, we're very blessed to have each other. And we take it for granted. And I really mean that, All right, I am blessed to have each and every one of you here. And I know that I take it for granted. It's very easy to become discouraged and disgruntled and and think so-and-so is an absolute retard. And yes, that's what the words may be in your head. I mean, let's be honest here. And everything like that, I can't believe what they, oh, they're a retard. I can't believe they passed me on the left side going down to church. Are we in that big of a hurry to get here? (laughs) But I I mean that. I appreciate each and every one of you here, and I, I want you to know that. So let's give ourselves a church health checkup. Do we have what it takes to finish the race? To be an overcomer. Now, as we've seen with all the churches, overcoming has a lot to do with reward. It's very important to overcome. In fact, I believe the the Kendrick brothers even have a movie out. I believe it is called Overcomer. it's, It's an important word. It's not an easy word. It takes a lot of effort. What do you think if we were to receive a letter that it would say about us or about you as an individual. You know, I'm going to approach it as a, as a church level today. I know all of you were probably hoping I'd have the, my own letter that God had written to me, but uh, I can assure you it'd be much longer than an hour. In America, I have given this a lot of thought of what exactly might be spoken to us here. And it's something that you have to really look deep upon yourself as well as the whole congregation in general. You have to look at the whole congregation in general and everything that goes on. And may I say, this is my opinion. This is not something that I've polled and found by Gallup that this is exactly what the problem is and well we'll all work on it and fix it by no means so in America we have the attack on the family correct we have abortion be what you want to be gender you don't even have to be a gender by the way in case you were holding out you have homosexuality you have lesbianism Same-sex marriages, pornography, interracial marriages. Now, these are all signs or effects of the degradation of our society. But what is just as damaging to the family? What are we guilty of? Boy, it got quiet in here. Divorce. Now, I am not trying to open wounds. And I am by no means saying everything goes back to divorce. And I would appreciate it if you would give me a chance. Hear me out what I have to say concerning this. I'm not speaking in judgment or condemnation by no means. What is done is done. Now, a body that is wounded takes time to heal. In a divorced person, some injuries are so severe it alters your life forever. Uh, Like an amputee that has feelings that a limb is still present, a marriage is a body when injured that it can have unintended life lasting consequences. So what does that have to do with us? Well, if you have more wounded, Then you have non-wounded, it makes it very difficult to be able to care for the wounded properly. And think of it this way, we consider ourselves the body of Christ. If you receive multiple wounds in your physical body in a battle, it can hamper you, can it not? The way you live, the way you exist, the way you are able to function, I believe it is the same and as far as the church body. Now I know this is an uncomfortable subject. It, it is for me as well. It's not like I can stand up here and tell you well from experience I can tell you this I have no experience in this area. As I stated before I'm just the guy, a mechanic that God's moved upon your hearts to place me before you at this present time. Um, so how many of you have heard of a man by the name of Gary Chapman? Yes. Okay, well, Gary Chapman is a, is a man, uh, I believe he's a psychologist and an author, I believe he's, but he's, I believe he's a minister as well. He's authored a book called The Five Love Languages. How many of you are familiar with that? Five Love Languages, okay. Well, this is a quote directly from Mr. Chapman. He says, people do not get married planning to divorce. Divorce is the result of lack of preparation for marriage and the failure to learn the skills of working together as teammates in an intimate relationship. It is the effect, divorce is the effect, not the cause. The cause is lack of preparation and most importantly, learning the skills of working together as teammates. Now, as I stated before, and I'll state again, I would say this would be the third time now. I definitely want to witness, I don't have qualifications concerning this. But I would like for us to turn to someone that I believe that is qualified. And if we could turn to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 8. Now I believe we follow Jesus Christ, so we we'll not hear what he has to say concerning this. Now in Matthew chapter 19 verse 8. In the words of our Savior Jesus Christ, it says, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Hardness of heart. Now hardness, when you look up in Strong's, is pronounced skle rak Basically it's hard-heartedness. But what's interesting is it, its description is, is that it's destitution of spiritual perception, destitution of spiritual perception. So destitution, a synonym for that would be extreme poverty, extreme lack of. So what is perception? Well, the perception is the state of being aware of something. So I guess one could say the hardness of heart is the extreme lack of the ability to see the state of spiritual matters. Now, these are the words of our Lord and Savior. They're not mine. Now, I personally have always thought that the hardness of heart was towards the wives. But I actually believe Jesus was speaking of the man's spiritual relationship with the Father. To truly understand how to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we must first and foremost know Jesus Christ. Can you express the love of Jamie Kunkel for Rachel Kunkel without knowing me? I know it sounds simple and I wish it was. And and much like we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, a marriage is a house being built. Okay, Young, young people, listen up. Suppose you decide to build a house, you're gonna get married. Location is important, right? I'm Dana, location's important? All right. If you don't have curb appeal. So location is important. Where we locate a spouse is important as well. If you're gonna hang outside the tobacco shack and see which one buys the most liquor, Probably not a good location to be looking for a spouse. So we got the location now we need a foundation. Your prospective mate, do they have a foundation which can be built upon? Building, inqu- building inspectors have requirements for foundations. Do you have requirements? Parents, work with your children. Foundations on the rock, not the sand. All right, so we got our foundations. So now the lumber is being delivered. How many of you know what lumber is, young people? All right, good. All right, lumber. So we have our lumber's been delivered. Now you can ask any carpenter in here. There is no such thing as a perfect board. All have imperfections. They have knots. They have splits, splinters. They're warped. I'm speaking of boards, not people. So a carpenter has to sort out all the boards to find the best ones to build with. There are no perfect people just like boards. Do you have requirements for the house, for the spouse, your house will be built with? Your choice matters. If you try and build a house with nothing but crooked boards, you're gonna have a hard time with the end result of it looking nice. But most especially, structurally, it will fail. So I know some of you are saying, that's why I build with metal. Well, metal is only as perfect as the person assembling it. And you can ask our brother James back there. I remember speaking with him here a few days ago you can have the most perfect ironwork to go up, but if the foundation's a little off, you have to alter the ironwork to make it work. So there's still imperfections. We live in an imperfect world. So no matter what you build with, if it's exposed to the wrong elements, it deteriorates. You can find the right spouse, have the right foundation, have the right lumber, know what you're doing and still lose your marriage. Metal, wood, they rot, they rust, they fade. A marriage has fighting, doesn't it, Rachel? (laughs) Pornography, pursuit of material things and money, trust me, financial matters, it matters, to name a few. So a house needs a covering to protect it, doesn't it? How many of you have a roofless house? Well, I've got one, so. All right, well, a house needs a covering to protect it, a roof, a marriage needs Jesus Christ and his blood covering to protect it. Protection for a house, though, isn't a once and done. It's upkeep for the life of the house. For those of you that own a house, you know what that's like. You buy a used house and guess what? You just thought you bought something good. There's always upkeep, always upkeep. And a marriage requires upkeep spiritually and physically to overcome and make it till death do us part. A marriage requires a lot of paying attention. It does on both parts. And today's society focuses on the physical, not the spiritual. If you neglect the the foundation of a house, I don't care how much paint you put on it, eventually it falls down. Looking great, but being torn, just being torn apart internally at the seams. Marriage can slide off the foundation and no one knows until it's beyond repair. Relationships never die a natural death. They are always murdered by attitude, behavior, ego, or ignorance. Now focus on the family. How many of you are familiar with focus on the family in Dr. Dobson's work? Good man. They did research on marital counseling. And what they discovered was is that within a church rarely does anyone ask for counseling. And they were asked, trying to determine why. Well, partly you all know each other. Nobody wants everybody else to know anything that might be bad about me. But that being said, obviously there's embarrassment and there's also a feeling of failure. Now, as your deacon, I have been very discouraged because you feel helpless you really do. Whoa, there's nothing that I can do about these situations. Nothing. Three families are affected though. The church family, the man's family, and the woman's family. Sides are taken in division results. And I know from Malachi 2.14 and Jeremiah 3.20 that both husbands and and wives can deal treacherously and how does division come well the women don't trust the men then and the men don't trust women trust now not some of the women and some of the, but all of the opposite sex it can go that far to have that type of effect and with good reason wounds really deep wounds Now the definition of insanity is to repeat the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And I'd really like to be able to to work together as a body to develop different results. Each of us, each one teaching one. Now I will say this for those that may think length of years means a good marriage. That's false. Length of years, it can just mean exceptional tolerance. Or it can also mean mindset, all for one and one for all. And I quoted one to my wife, several, that I, I grew up with in death before dishonor. But that doesn't make a good marriage. And the results of that will be in your children, not necessarily in your marriage. We each have houses of different lumber or metal Now, our pastor, Reed Benson, has written a book on forming a Christian community, an enclave. Everybody got one? I mean, they were passing them out free. That was your time. (laughs) All right. Well, I believe in this. I believe in the enclave. And I'm fortunate that we have one here. Now, to thrive an enclave must have the ability to self govern Before the colony of Plymouth would even get off the Mayflower, they formed and elected their government. Before they would get off the boat, they formed and elected their government. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Mayflower Compact? I mean, I believe we've read it in here in the the assembly as well. That actually, the original title of that was Agreement Between the Settlers of New Plymouth. Agreement Between the Settlers of New Plymouth. They came to a written agreement before it was needed. And I believe the difference between a fellowship church and a true church is self-government. There are many instances in the scripture where things are to be taken before the church. We aren't supposed to be judged by outside courts, but judge ourselves. Why else would the apostles go about establishing leadership and teaching doctrine? Some sold everything they had and lived communally. Now, I can't imagine doing that. Can you? I mean, I'm not proposing to do that. Everybody okay with that? No. I'm not proposing communal or anything. But how many of you remember the movie Courageous by the Kendrick brothers? How many of you have ever seen the movie Courageous? It's okay. Hold up your hand. It's, it's all right, it's kosher. So, <laughs> all right. Well, for those of you that may remember, in that movie, there was what was called The Resolution. How many of you are familiar with that? The Resolution, The Courageous Pledge. Now, for a while in our nation, there was a, a uprising, I guess one could say of it. There was a, a, a surge of men that got together. In fact, I remember Nathan Clark and, and I, and, and I believe Luke and Chad, and Denny. There were several others. Luke was actually quite, Luke Gaiman being my my brother-in-law, Rachel's brother, uh, was actually quite taken by that movie and really wanted to do what was spoken there. And he actually spoke to several of us. Well, he spoke to the younger men and me, uh, being the older one, I guess. But uh, he really wanted to do that. When I spoke with him concerning about it and everything, I, I said I, I felt that it was, was good, but I did not feel that it was something that we actually had the ability to truly accomplish. I'm going to read into the record here what the resolution was so we can all hear. This is what men throughout this nation and different churches have gotten together before each other read signed with their wives or children present and everything and their wives and children and their minister were to hold them accountable. I do solemnly resolve before God to take the full responsibility for myself, my wife and my children. I will love them, protect them, serve them and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all of their hearts, all of their minds, and all of their strength. I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those who have wronged me and reconcile with those who I have wronged. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I will seek to honor God, be faithful to his church, obey his word, and do his will. I will courageously work with the strength of God, with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for his glory. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. a pretty powerful statement it takes a lot of commitment it takes a lot of willingness of men to subject themselves to one another and that requires a softness not a hardness of heart in ephesians 5 You have verses 21 and 22, both of them. There is the word submitting that's used, and there's also the word submit. And it's the same Greek word, "hubitaso." It's actually a Greek military term. Now, in the military version of it, it means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Now, in a non-military use, as it was used in Scripture, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. That is what each of us gathered together as brethren, submitting ourselves one to another, that, that's what it means. So, what is the most important tool in a marriage toolbox? The most important tool for me is communication. Now, there's communication and there's communication. This can be communication as well, I'll demonstrate here. But it's not really the communication that is right communication. For instance, Rachel Parks in the yard. So I have lots of sarcasm about that, you know. She asked why I didn't finish mowing the yard. Well, if you would have not been parked in the yard, maybe I would have been able to have gotten around it. It's kind of hard to do that, uh, role-playing and everything. And in your mind it sounded much better. But uh, (laughs) I guess I need to practice more with her at home. (laughs) But that being said, you have to have meaningful dialogue. And meaningful dialogue doesn't just happen by screaming at each other. And I know some people do that, and it's not healthy. It's really not. I mean, I'm I'm capable of it, trust me. And I I can see the results that it's had even in in my own children and stuff, how they react to things and such. But you have to have dialogue. You have to communicate. Now, I know a lot of you, we all know the verse as far as that you're... you're, uh, sun's not to go down upon your, your wrath, your anger, your, your frustration, you know, that you should resolve things. Well, sometimes do- dialogue can take weeks, you know, and that's one of the things too as well. Mr. Peterson spoke about as far as relationships, he believes that dialogue is one of the most important things. And he says, when you have dialogue, you have to be very careful when you when you're communicating with your spouses, because you wind up in two places you have the slave and the tyrant. It's very easy. Yes, we want our wives to subject, but are they a slave then? Is it willingly? Is it lovingly? Is it desirable to do? Have we truly presented a case that doesn't make us the tyrant or the slave? And sometimes that can take weeks to work out. Uh, and speaking with Rachel concerning this, she said the longest that, uh, that she can remember as well, that believe we've been at odds before. And when I say at odds, that means not speaking. It's very uncomfortable for the kids. Uh, she may get my plate before me, but I can salt my own dinner. I can get my own fork and I can pour my own glass. And I know some of you guys are probably thinking, she gets you dinner? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I get it on top of my head. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but we've been at odds at three weeks before. And I know for you young people that may think seem like, but think about whenever you're at a disagreement with your friends. I mean, work on your friends' relationships too, because that may really work out when you get into a marriage situation. You have to be able to have dialogue. You have to be able to, to realize that you're making a mountain out of a molehill. And being right isn't always that important. It really isn't. Relationships are much more important. And how, like I said, how we communicate matters, especially in front of children, whether they're they're ours or someone else's, it can really impact it. Because if someone else's child witnesses you basically berating your wife and everything like that, and then you try and come to them when they're, let's say they were 12 at the time, they're really impressionable then, they're 12. And then you try and go to them when they're 22 and they're starting to have a marital problem. All they remember is, is how you treated your wife 10 years ago or whatever they don't that's what that's etched in their minds you will be useless to try and help them you really will because they've already written you off they've written off that you don't have a clue what you're doing um now that being said it can be restored but it takes a lot of humbleness and your willingness to explain to them yes i was wrong here and and move forward from that but don't think just because, well, I've been married for 10 years longer than this person, I know more than they do, and I can help them out and stuff. That's, that's not true. We have to be seeking to truly become one. And that communication skill then flows into your church body. If we can communicate as couples, we can also communicate as a church body because families in the church become family and as we all know with family there's disagreements but we have the ability then to have the communication and the dialogue and to realize that our relationship is is more if not the most important than being right not saying truth has its point its point and I'll get to that in in a minute now men, in Proverbs eighteen 22, we're told that when we found a wife, we obtained the favor of the Lord. Now I'd like you all to think about this. Not because of our righteousness or your righteousness did we obtain a wife. It was a gift from the Lord to you. Now how do you feel, and when I say gift, I'm speaking of the favor of the Lord was gifted unto us because we, we obtained a wife. And, and the reason that I believe that this is important is because it is God's plan that we would multiply and refill the earth. You know, family is part of the plan. And that is why I believe you obtain favor of the Lord by finding a wife. Now, granted, it doesn't say that you found Barbie. It says you found a wife. You know, she may be able to cook. She may not be able to cook, but hopefully she showers. So But that being said, you've obtained the favor of the Lord by f- just finding a wife. How, now, I, I say that, how easy was that? No, that's not easy. It really isn't. It isn't easy finding a wife. I, I know, boy, I searched high and low, and finally Club One brought her home. but uh yeah. <laughs> But let me ask you something. You found the favor of the Lord. It's a gift. How do you feel if your child rejects the gift that you worked so hard to get them? You've worked extra hours. You've missed going fishing, hunting, um, watching your favorite TV show. Perhaps you've skipped coffee for a week, you know, to provide that for someone. And, you know, they look at the bicycle. Oh, thanks, Dad. And then go back to playing there. Video game or whatever, and you know, it's crushing, is it not? To be rejected from your child, to be rejected by your child? So I must ask us then to not respect God's favor that He's given us with us obtaining a wife, is that the sin of rejecting God? Think on that. Let's go to Psalms chapter 30. And I'd like to read uh, verse 5 and verse 7, if we could, please. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. This Psalm 30, actually, if you take the time to read the whole chapter, excellent, excellent chapter to read. But I'll I'll just take some excerpts from it. It says, for his anger endureth but a moment, I'm in verse 5, in his favor is life. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And then we go to verse 7. And it says, Lord, by thy favor, thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. The restoration of the favor of God... Is repentance and seizing the new day and becoming the new man and that new man is in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 now I'd like to give you a quote if I could from John MacArthur and that quote being love and truth must be maintained in perfect balance truth is never to be abandoned in the name of love but love is not to be deposed in the name of truth. Truth without love has no decency. It's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. That's John MacArthur. Now, today is the Feast of Trumpets, the day of knowing that our Savior Jesus Christ is coming again and in Titus chapter 2 verse 13 we're to be looking for a blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ and we also have in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And if I could, I'd like to have, in closing, if we could open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And as I said before, I've given it a lot of thought, especially for my young children and in married couples and such and everything like that, of hope. And I've read these verses over and over. And I'd like to look, if we could, at Matthew chapter 24. And let's begin in verse 37. And it says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be two be in the field, and the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill; the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord cometh doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in the what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. The point that I would like to make to each and every young person here and to each of us gathered here today is when we read these words, you have to realize that we're surrounded with doom and gloom and that everything is going apocalyptic. But if we read these verses at just as in the days of Noah, if it had been going apocalyptic, don't you think they would have been gathering around the boat? But it wasn't. It seemed like just another day. Just like today seems like just another day. They'll be drinking and marrying and everything like that. Don't plan your lives around an end. Except if that end is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great way to plan your life to be with Him. But that being said, don't believe what you hear about the media and everybody else the stock market's crashing, there's not gonna be any food, there's not gonna be any place to live. If, wrong book. If we read what is in between these pages and we're faithful and true, God will provide for His people. Amen. And it's written in there even, I believe it's in Psalms and David speaking and everything like that, that he's never seen the righteous begging bread. Tough times make really good people. The people that we brag so much about of establishing such a great nation went through hell to get there. You have to be willing to suffer to receive the word. Just like we read about all the churches, you have to overcome in everything in life. You have to overcome. Don't be discouraged it's not the end. You know, as Rocky says, I didn't hear no bell. We can all say, I didn't hear, well, we heard trumpets, but I didn't hear the last trump. So we got to fight on. Now, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. May our sins be confessed and forgiven. And may the Lord Jesus send forth His Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us gathered here today. Today is a new day and the Holy Spirit has shown us Jesus Christ that we may evermore rejoice and proclaim that the good news that Jesus is coming again. Are you ready to meet the Master? Thank you for your time today.